Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business in Dava podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nikia Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Good afternoon, Thomasina. Welcome today to um, Beyond COVID's webinar podcast series. Good to have you here today. Good day. It's great to be here with both of you and with your listening audience. Thank you for having me. Great. So today um, we're speaking about the family unit. As the heart of family business and um, so we're just going to allow you to allow you to introduce yourself and then take us into this journey of um, family as the heart of the family business. Thank you. Thank you. So I say that family is the heart of uh, family business because I think that's the essence of what sets family businesses apart. I describe myself as a strategic thought partner, coach and consultant to enterprising families, helping them to navigate that intersection between family and finances. Uh, It can be incredibly challenging to start and grow a successful business. You can find all kinds of resources to help you do that and still most businesses fail. And there are not a lot of places that we can find resources to support us in figuring out how do we build healthy, resilient families. Uh, So combining the two of those is really challenging. And when I discovered this field, I decided that I wanted to spend the rest of my professional life focusing on trying to help families because families are the bedrock of our societies and families that are contributing to the local economies, local jobs, Uh, contributing to communities in different ways. Uh, To me, it's a win-win in terms of trying to build a a healthy, uh, inclusive society. I came across the proverb that uh, oftentimes there are, the families go from short sleeves to shirt, excuse me, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. And I realized that that had happened to my own family, uh, where my grandparents were very wealthy landowners back in the 30s, which was pretty unique for a Black family in the South in the U.S., which is where uh, my grandparents were. They worked really hard, uh, had a very successful business, very well known in their community. And yet today, the only thing that's left is the six acres that was their homestead, and that is not income producing. So when I discovered this field, I decided this is what I want to dedicate the rest of my professional life to. Uh, Prior to working with families, I was an attorney. I practiced law in uh, Miami, Florida for 20 years, and I also worked with the Ford Foundation in New York for six years. And now, as I said, I'm all in and trying to help families that are business owners, because I think that helps the family, it helps society, and it helps our economy. So what better win-win? In terms of uh, 
family being the heart of family business. I think if you think about uh, corporations in general or any kind of business in general, it's pretty clear what the managers of the business do, what their role is in terms of operating the business day to day. And if you have owners, shareholders, particularly if it's a public company, but even for private companies, it's very clear what the role is of the owners. And for the most part, owner's job is to help to elect the board of directors, to set policy. Owners are not engaged in the day-to-day -day of the business, if you're talking about uh, any other type of private business or even a publicly traded company. The challenge becomes when you, if you think about those as two separate systems, and then you bring in the family as a third system, the challenge becomes that you have now the same people who are engage in very different roles. And it's not always clear in what capacity someone is acting. And so that is, I think, what makes family businesses so challenging. Uh, why does it matter that some uh, a business might be a family business? It's particularly important if you think about the global impact of family businesses. Uh, family businesses around the globe, by some estimates, account for as much as 70% of global GDP, which is huge. <clears throat> that means that family businesses are the economic engine of many of our country economies. Uh, also, there's research that has been done which shows that family business or businesses are actually trusted, both by employees and by the buying public, at a higher level than are other types of businesses. And that's because family businesses generally have more in mind than simply the bottom line. Obviously, they want to make money. They're in the business to make a profit, but they live and are invested and committed to their local communities. And family businesses tend to think long-term. Uh, most private companies, at least in my part of the world, think on a quarterly basis. It's all about what does the, the balance sheet show? Are we making money? Are we not making money? And the goal is always to maximize profit. And sometimes, uh, unfortunately, at any cost. Family businesses, because they are rooted in the communities where they are doing business, generally speaking, and because they're thinking long-term, as in generationally, they have other goals in mind and are oftentimes more uh, sympathetic, empathetic to the local community, which genders, engenders a, a greater degree of trust uh, in family businesses. And then another important reason why it matters uh, to be a family business is if you're interested in building generational wealth. Anyone who has a business today who wants to ensure that their hard work, their investments are not only supporting the generations of their family that exist today, but are also serving the family for generations to come, if they have a mindset of what I think of as stewardship, that these are assets that we can enjoy today, but we want to ensure that there's something for the next generation to build on, that is also the way that, frankly, most families around the globe build wealth, is by owning something. 
And that something is usually some sort of operating business or a piece of uh, land, real estate that is generating income that provides a foundation for the family, not only today, but going forward into the future. If we um, want to uh, then think about the question of, okay, if it's important to have a, a family business from the standpoint of building wealth for your family, from the standpoint of uh, taking care of local communities, the question then becomes, well, if I am not currently focused on uh, building family business, what does that take? What is different that family business owners should be doing than what someone who works in a non-family business should be doing? And I like to think of it as sort of four very simple things that people can do. One, I think it's important to really be very purposeful and proactive. Two, I think it's important that people see the big picture, broader context, think about systems and connections and relationships between things. Uh, number three, I think it is also important that they think long-term, as I was saying before, long-term and generationally, that gives you a whole different set of priorities than if you're just focusing on uh, what is in front of you for the immediate. And the fourth thing I think it's important for family businesses to do is to do long-term parallel planning. Families, uh, businesses generally are very good about focusing on the business as the economic engine, but are not thinking about the family and how do you prepare not only next generations, but oftentimes uh, current generations, how do you prepare the family to be able to manage the financial resources that come from the business, as well as to stay innovative and think about how do you build on that. And whenever you have a, a family business, one of the big differences about people who are able to amass wealth uh, and those who are not is that oftentimes there's some significant part of their resources that are jointly owned such as an operating business, such as a piece of real estate, or it may even be a philanthropic venture that the family manages together. Some sort of investment company, perhaps they're just investing their resources together, but they're leveraging the family's collective resources. And that means they need to be able to work together. They need to be able to communicate really well. They need to be able to figure out how do we make decisions together and also if there is a disagreement, a conflict, how do we get to the point of managing those conflicts so that they don't interfere with the, the resources that are in fact the family's economic engine. So um, again, be purposeful and be proactive. Uh, I'll just go through them one at a time. The other thing I think is a big difference, the reason I say be purposeful and be proactive is that most people candidly, particularly in this day and age, are just kind of walking through life on autopilot. People get up in the morning and do what they did yesterday for the most part and are not thinking long term, not really focused on 
what are what is the impact of what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and how is that serving whatever long-term goals or uh, uh, visions they may have if they have any at all and so those families that tend to be most successful again in building generational wealth are families that do take the time to be purposeful to be proactive and are anticipating and thinking through challenges rather than simply allowing life to kind of unfold and happen to them and then having to react to that, which is why it's so important that they do parallel planning, that they know at some point there's going to be some sort of a leadership transition rather than uh, simply allowing that to happen and people kind of scramble when it happens to figure out next what to do, why not be proactive and purposeful and sitting down and thinking about that and taking the time to plan over a period of years, uh, oftentimes to be most successful with that, to ensure that both the family is able to flourish, to stay together, and that the business is able to continue uninterrupted. So that's be purposeful and be proactive. Uh, the next thing I say is see context. And this is really about thinking about systems. Um, families actually are very much systems. They're multi-generational systems and they're multi-generational emotional systems. And why that's so important is that, you know, rather than saying, uh, oh, I wish my brother would just do ABC, or if my parents would just do one, two, three, to step back, get a broader lens to understand why they might be doing what they're doing, to get some sense of the context and the relationship. Thinking about families as family businesses also helps to appreciate that I can do something to move my family forward even even if other family members don't want to do the work that I think is required. By me changing my behavior, by definition, it is going to impact the behavior of other family members. Because as a system, everything is all connected. If you think about dropping a pedal, uh, uh, if you, a pebble, if you will, in uh, a pool of water, that pebble is going to have ripple effects. Depending upon the size of the pool of water, depending upon the size of the pebble, will depend upon whether the ripple effects are very subtle and may take some time to play out, or whether they're very dramatic and can have significant changes. So it's important to think about the context in which things are happening. Uh, that is again, a part of being purposeful and trying to anticipate the family's uh, future. There is a concept known as the uh, three circle model of family business, which is a great way of thinking about systems. And as I said before, if you have uh, any other type of private company, it's just the ownership group and it's the management group. But when you have a family involved, there's a third group and those three systems are overlapping. So it's important to understand that if I am working with you as my sister in the family business, if we have a dispute that has nothing to do with the business, 
and it's between us as sisters, if we are not purposeful, if we are not careful, our dispute can spill over into the business and impact customer relations, impact employee relations. So that's a part of understanding that if I'm in business with my family, I can't just separate the two. There is going to be some sort of overplay and what happens in one arena will affect the other. So again, it's important to be purposeful and proactive and to think about relationships between not just individuals, but also between the family and the business. What is the interplay uh, with those? And then on the point about uh, thinking long-term, again, family businesses tend to think generationally because most family businesses not only care about their business and making money, but they're also thinking about the next generation and the generation after that which means that they approach business oftentimes in a very different way than other private businesses. Um, there are a number of family businesses uh, in my part of the world that have actually been able to navigate this COVID crisis much better than businesses that are not family owned because businesses that are family owned, a lot of them tend to be very risk adverse. They don't have a lot of debt. So they have cash reserves oftentimes. They also are taking more precautions, at least in the family businesses that I'm working with. The family members themselves consider their family, uh, their employees rather, as an extended family. So they are not laying off employees in the same way that some private businesses are. They have, uh, in many cases, long, long-term employees who've been with them for decades. Uh, I have a, a client right now who actually has had generations of their employees work in the family business, just as, though, just as there have been generations of the family ownership group. So there's a different type of engagement when you think long-term, when you think generationally. And then that last one around uh, doing parallel planning and capacity building, helping the family to navigate the family challenges at the same time that you're thinking about how do you build capacity and do strategic planning, long-term thinking for your business to do that for your family as well. And I think I'll stop there uh, to ask if there are any questions. Um, if anyone has any questions for Thomasina, please feel free to just use the chat button at the bottom of your screen to just send your questions through to her and we will then pass them on to you. I think my biggest question uh, from just hearing you speak um, is focused on that intergenerational um, development in the family. What are your thoughts on situations where the founder has no interest in actually building a multi-generational business, yet the family members are interested in taking the business forward? That's always a, a tough question. I would uh, want to have a conversation with that family business owner to kind of understand their thinking. I find that oftentimes people, it's a, it's a question of helping them gain a different perspective. Uh, 
So I've even had this conversation, for example, with uh, political leaders who were the first Black politician in this position, that position, everything from the U.S. Congress to the local school board around what is it that you want your contribution to be? Uh, what is it that they want their legacy to be? And sometimes appealing to people's own self-interest is a way to reconceptualize things for them. If a founder has spent their uh, entire, or at least a good part of their professional life building a business, do they really want all of that to end when they end? wouldn't they like for there to be a legacy where people can look back from generations from now and say it was because of the hard work, because of the foresight, because of the engagement of this founder that we now have this foundation that we can build on. And sometimes it's a question of simply getting people to think about uh, what is it they want their legacy to be in a different kind of way? And wouldn't that serve uh, their own interest and to keep their work alive, to keep what they have done living on well beyond them is one way to think about it. Uh, if the founder still is not interested in that, I would say that I wouldn't uh, give up from that one conversation. Uh, I find that if you're talking about trying to help someone see something from a different perspective, you need to have multiple conversations. You need to come at it, at it from multiple directions over a period of time. That first conversation may plant a seed that hopefully they will go back and think about, but just like planting any other type of seed, you've got to cultivate it. You've got to nourish it. It may be a question of sharing stories about other uh, founders who were very successful and what they created, how that laid a foundation for future generations that people now look back on with uh, great pride and reverence for what it was that that person was able to do. Um, another way to, to go about it might be to think about this question of, uh, of stewardship. If they are not, the founders not focused on the next generations per se, uh, one approach that sometimes work is to get them to think about, well, can you help to train or mentor the next generation? If it's your feeling that they need to go out and build their own business, do their own thing, if you will, then perhaps one of the approaches could be to simply try to figure out the knowledge transfer, the relationships transfer. When people think about succession and transition, they often think about uh, passing ownership and they think about passing a title, but there are multiple levels of succession and transition. It could be that the founder may be willing to help the next generation to establish relationships that will help that next generation to then seed their own enterprise. Uh, it could be that they share something about their business knowledge, the lessons that they have learned that can help that next generation. So there are multiple ways to think about someone who's not focused on uh, the next generation to help them think about either their own legacy or helping that next generation to um, 
propelled to the next level, if you will, passing on the lessons that they have learned, the relationships that they have garnered, and possibly maybe even investing in a business if, uh, if that might be an option as well. I would say to just keep trying uh, and again, appeal to their self-interest as well as present options. Oftentimes people simply haven't thought of things. I find that parents sometimes feel like the next generation you know, they're not doing what they should be doing. And then the next generation's thinking, well, why aren't my parents preparing me better? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? And the challenge is they're not having conversations with each other. Each side is assuming what they, what they think the other side thinks or wants. And sometimes, a lot of times, actually, those assumptions can be wrong. So I think just opening up a conversation and presenting options can sometimes go a lot further than people might think. You mentioned um, being purposeful and how that's really important for family businesses. And conceptually, I can understand, you know, um, as an individual, you know, how to seek my own individual purpose. But when we come together as a collective, do you have any tips on how the family can define its purpose? Absolutely. One of the things that a lot of family, families do is to focus on a set of shared goals. There is research which has been done in the U.S. which says that there are three primary reasons that families are not able to build generational wealth, even once they have significant financial assets. The first reason is because of a lack of communication, uh, either no communication or poor communication, which leads to a breakdown in trust. That accounts for about 60% of the generational wealth losses. The second reason is a lack of preparation. Uh, and what that has meant historically is that the next generation hasn't been given the opportunities, the space uh, to really know what to do with the assets once they receive them. Uh, I say that in this day and age, it also is a question of preparing the baby boomer generation uh, to think about what their next chapter might be. Uh, baby boomers are not retiring at the age of 62, 65, the way that they uh, once did and are working much longer. And then the third reason that families tend to lose their wealth from generation to generation has to do with that lack of shared purpose, that people have different thoughts about what should happen with the resources. I have a, a client where the patriarch passed away, a very substantial business, the kids uh, who were working in the business along with their stepmother had one idea. They wanted to sell the business and cash out now that dad was gone. And the mom, actually a stepmom, wanted to reinvest in the business and actually to grow the business. Two very different visions. In cases like that, it's important for the family to sit down and do some values work, do some mission work to figure out what is it that we want to do with these collective assets? If the family does not do that, they're then at risk of losing it due to disputes. I think it's also important uh, as part of doing the, the work to figure out what is your shared purpose, it helps to step back 
and to define who is the family, who is family and for what purpose. And being clear about that can also be helpful. So for example, in some families, if you happen to be an in-law, uh, you marry into the family, you are not eligible to own any part of the business and your opportunities to work in the business may even be limited. Whereas other families don't make those kinds of decisions. They say that any and everybody can inherit in the family. So if the, fit, the first thing is to be able to have the conversation, to sit down and be very intentional about addressing issues like who is family and for what purpose. Those kinds of questions are often informed by the family's history, the family's traditions. Um, I have a, a family where there is a young man who works in the business, very bright, everybody loves him. He's considered a part of the family as a cousin, uh, from the spouse of the CEO, but he is not considered a part of the family for purposes of succeeding the CEO, no matter how bright or how capable he might be. Because in that family, the tradition has always been that you can work in the business as an extended family member. You can take advantage of other opportunities in the business and some of the perks that exist, but you cannot actually ascend to the top position. And so it's important to have those kinds of, of conversations that are, again, informed by those histories and traditions. That can help you then when you're sitting down to think about this question of what is our shared purpose. Oftentimes, families will want to have that conversation as one big group, kind of from the start. I urge people to get clear as individuals about what their purpose is. I think everybody should have their own mission statement, their own purpose statement as an individual and also as a couple or a family branch. If the individuals are clear about what's really important to them, what they are trying to do, their personal goals, and family branches, family units have sat down to get clear about that amongst themselves, it's then easier to come together as the larger family. I'm clear, my brothers are clear, my sister is clear and her husband. Then we can come together and make that conversation around a shared purpose a lot easier than it otherwise might be if we hadn't thought through those kinds of things. And there are a number of resources available to help people engage in uh, values exercises and creating uh, mission statements, vision statements for the family. There are uh, all kinds of tools on the, on the uh, internet, some of which are actually free. Um, there are a number that have been put in the form of games, board games, card games, so that it's more engaging for people. So I would encourage folks to do a little bit of research uh, around various tools that might exist out there. And I'd be happy to, to send um, you all a list that you might wanna post someplace on, either on your podcast or, uh, or on the African Family Firm's website someplace. Awesome, thank you so much, Thomasina. I've got another question here. On multi-generational emotional systems, can mm -hmm. you unpack that for us? What are 
what are you saying we pass on emotions from in terms of we pass on emotions from generation to generation what we pass on are patterns patterns tend to repeat themselves in families uh, a tool or speaking of tools a tools that is a tool that is used to help to visualize your family as a system a multi-generational system is something called a family diagram. It is uh, essentially, I refer to it as a sophisticated family tree. It lays out who all the family members are, what their blood relationships might be, and then you layer additional information on it. Things like when people were born, when deaths occur. It's also helpful to layer on other information like this child was born in the midst of a global pandemic because the external influences impact the family and are going to impact uh, how family members engage with each other. What you're looking for are patterns that sometimes uh, can repeat themselves as positives and sometimes repeat themselves as not being so positive. Uh, things that you can see are, for example, if there has been some distancing or cutoff in a family. Uh, that helps to explain sometimes what's happening in the current generation because, again, patterns tend to repeat themselves. Also, looking at a family diagram, in addition to the sort of demographic factual information that you would lay onto it, you also include information about the nature of the relationships between the family members. Again, we sometimes tend to talk uh, about there being a quote problem child when no child acts in isolation. Uh, as the saying goes, no man or woman is an island. Everything is happening within a context and understanding that context also helps to explain how tensions can move throughout a family. Uh, so exam for example, if you have a family diagram, uh, there's a concept known as triangles, which helps to explain. It's one of the eight concepts that we look at in understanding families as emotional systems. The science literature says that actually the most stable relationship group is three people not two. If you think about it as a stool, uh, you need to have that third leg to stabilize things. If there is tension between me and my mother, we are having a dispute. Either myself or my mother is more than likely going to reach out to some third party and quote, triangle them in to get them on our side. I'm gonna call up my girlfriend or I may call my brother or my dad and say, I can't believe what mom did. And then I just start talking negatively about mom, trying to get the third person on my side and to see it from my side, rather than me taking the time to pause, to calm myself down and figure out how can I engage constructively in a conversation with my mother to resolve this dispute. Uh, that is called a triangle. Whenever you are trying to bring somebody else into the dispute between you and another person, 
and you are engaged only with that third party and are not also staying in contact with the person you have the dispute with. That is a way that emotions and anxiety and tensions can move throughout a family because people are talking to other people about someone rather than trying to engage with that person they have the conflict or the difficulty with. When you map that out and can understand relationships in different kind of way, you a lot of times will see that those same kinds of patterns happened in prior generations and are repeating themselves. Uh, the concept of cutoff is another one where someone may have had a dispute in the family and decided to physically leave or if there is so much discord or pressure to everybody be on the same page and that person has a different way of thinking about life. They may have a different religious belief than the rest of the family. It may be a different political belief. They may not wanna go into the family business whereas people are urging them to do that and they wanna go off and have a career doing something totally different and feel like the pressure and feel like the pressure is so intense that they have to physically distance themselves from their family that is a concept called cutoff sometimes cutoff can be emotional uh, i can live in the same household with someone but be emotionally distant from that person and those kinds of patterns are things where if you sit down and map out your family, if you do the family history, have the conversations, you will find that more likely than not, this is not the first time that that kind of situation showed up in your family. So part of being purposeful is to understand your family history because past informs present. And there are those patterns that you want to further you want to be intentional about that, such as having an entrepreneurial spirit, having lots of generations of families that started family businesses. How do we keep that entrepreneurial spirit going and foster that into future generations? But if there have been challenges like people emotionally distancing or physically distancing, if you are purposeful in identifying that, then you know what to look for and you can take precautions to avoid that kind of thing happening in this current generation and then it being passed down to other generations. That's a whole, we could do a whole show just on family diagrams. And actually, if at some point you'd like to do that, I'd be happy to come back and do that and illustrate. There is a um, new software tool that is out that people might want to look at that helps to be able to gather all of this information into a software program and then you can actually see through the generations because it includes a timeline if you simply go to familydiagram.com you can uh see uh the software there also is a, a youtube channel to illustrate how it works that i think could be informative for people the one thing about this particular program is that it's only for a uh, mac products for Apple products. It doesn't work on PCs or, um, or tablets, but if you have an iPad, then there are also uh, other programs that are out there on the internet that uh, will show you what a family diagram looks like and can help you look at 
how the patterns repeat. Uh, another concept that's very easy to understand, it's a part of understanding your family as an emotional system is looking at birth order. There's all this research that has been done about how uh, firstborns tend to be take charge kind of people um, and have a sense of responsibility for their siblings or for other members of the family. So there's lots of research out there around these concepts of how do you understand your family at a deeper level. Uh, communication is very important, but understanding your family as an emotional system helps you to appreciate, well, why is communication so difficult in my family? Uh, another concept that's part of understanding families as emotional systems is called family projection process. And that is where some one person in the family is oftentimes stereotyped or becomes the, the scapegoat that uh, there's, quote, um, a family, a problem child, if you will. And whenever there's some kind of tension, people want to basically focus on that individual. Oftentimes, that is because that individual is very sensitive to what the dynamics are that are going on. And it's not really about them. They are reacting more often than not to some tension uh, oftentimes between their parents, uh, they have kind of absorbed whatever the tension was, and that then allows the rest of the siblings to kind of flourish. I have that in my own family. I have uh, my siblings, I have four, uh, there are four of us total. I have three brothers, and two are very accomplished, uh, Wall Street investment banker, very successful uh, another, literally a rocket scientist, uh, started out uh, as an aeronautical engineer doing experiments with astronauts going into outer space, um, then became uh, a corporate lawyer, and now he flies uh, commercial planes, uh, a math whiz. And then I have a brother who's never finished high school. So how can we have a Harvard MBA uh, in the family? a University of Michigan law school grad in the family, aeronautical engineer who's a math whiz, and then one kid who never finished high school. How does that happen when we all grew up in the same household, the same two-parent household, all went to private schools, had great educational opportunities? There's something about his constitution where he absorbed the tension that was happening in the family between my parents at a certain point, which allowed space then for the rest of us, the rest of the sibling group, to kind of flourish. And again, if you sit down and are intentional and map these things out, it explains a lot about who he is and how his life has turned out, rather than saying, oh, he's the quote problem child. He's actually smarter than all of us combined, uh, very musically talented, can fix anything electrical. Um, so understanding your family in a broader context. This goes to my point earlier about seeing the context and understanding understanding things as a system. Each individual is being influenced by the context in which they're growing up. And while we think of families as all being, siblings may be quote the same, siblings grow up in the same household, but in many respects they grow up in different families. 
because the family is at a different place. I am the oldest in my family. I'm a product of, of the civil rights movement and the 60s uh, in the US. And as the first, you know, my parents were newlyweds. I was born when they, uh, uh, 14 months after my parents got married. So my parents are, you know, still trying to navigate their relationship as a couple. And the first child is kind of an experiment in many ways because parents don't really know what they're doing oftentimes unless they help to raise siblings. But then by the time that my youngest brother comes around, there's eight years difference between us and it's a whole different world. My parents were in an, a different economic state. My parents got married when they were in college. And, you know, not many of us have much when we're in college. My father was a veteran, so he had uh, veteran benefits and a little bit more than other college couples. But by the time my youngest brother came around, they were just in a very different financial state uh, as well. And everything in between. So, you know, my youngest brother can learn from the things that he saw me doing and my other two brothers. And my parents could financially afford more opportunities and things for him than they could for me. So we grew up in the same household, but in many ways in different families. And families uh, understanding that by using tools like the family diagram, like timelines, and again, being very purposeful and trying to understand your family at a deep level, rather than just saying we need to talk about communication, listen to each other better. I have the last question that is coming from one of the participants, and they're saying, I have a situation where the founder of the business whose child is part of the business is struggling to let go. One mm. child has walked out already and the other child is looking to leave, both continuing in the family business individually. How can you get such a founder to begin to value the continuity of business for the next generation? This goes partly, I think, back to your, your earlier question. Uh, one of the challenges when someone had, uh, often founders, there's a, a term known as uh, founder syndrome, which people can interpret negatively to say that founders just don't want to move on. But if you think about it, a lot of very successful founders literally invested their blood, sweat, and tears into building that business. Um, Sometimes they even think of the business as like being an additional child. Their identity, who they are, their standing in their community may be wrapped up in that business. They see that business as their way of, of having been able to provide for their family. So part of it, I, I go back to this question about their legacy. What do they want to happen to that business that they care so much about when they have passed on? to start getting them to think long-term in that way. Uh, the other thing about founders and bringing in the next generation is the fact that founders sometimes, because they are so wrapped up in the business, they see that as their whole identity, are not sure, well, what would I do? If I pass on my business to my kids, then it's like I have, I have nothing. And so part of the challenge is helping that founder perhaps to see what life might be look what life might look like for them if they're not in the business day to day. 
And there are a whole range of options there. That could be uh, everything from perhaps the person being the chairperson of the organization so that they may uh, be engaged at some point in uh, helping policy, set policy or be available to answer questions, but are not doing, uh, not running the day-to-day -day of the business. It might be a situation where um, they've had some dream that they haven't been able to focus on because they've been so tied up in the business. That dream could maybe be doing something uh, related to another business, maybe like my brother, they've always wanted to fly airplanes. And this gives them an opportunity to fly airplanes. It could be that they take on more of a mentoring role for not only their next generation, but for others, or to help others figure out how to set up businesses. I think the bottom line is to help that founder envision a life for themselves that is fulfilling that is meaningful, that may not involve the business. And again, founders oftentimes just don't see that. They don't see that there are other things that they can be doing and still contributing while allowing the next generation to assume the responsibility and understanding that if they do want this business to live on, the next generation is going to have to have an opportunity to be able to run it they're going to need the authority to make decisions, not simply uh, having a title. And that the best way to do that is a period where the founder and the next generation are working in the business together so that it is more of a systematic and intentional handoff rather than the founder passes away in the middle of the night, God forbid, and the next generation is left to figure it out and they have no idea uh, where anything is. So I, it's, it sounds like it would take a lot of conversation to really understand what is up for that particular founder. Is it because they don't see what they would do uh, otherwise? Is it a question where they have concerns about the capability of the next generation to actually run the business and unpack that? Again, one of the biggest challenges is that founders are assuming things about the next generation, the next generation is assuming things about founders, and they're simply not having the conversations to unpack what the real issues are. And because of the emotion inherent within family, it's helpful to have a third party to come in and help the family figure out how to have those deeper conversations to surface what the real issues are, and then to figure out a way forward that supports what it is that is the dream and aspiration, both of the next generation and of the founder. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Thomasina. It was a pleasure to have you here with us this afternoon. Um, should anyone want to reach you, how best can they get hold of you? Uh, the best way is to go to my website or people can reach out to me via LinkedIn. Uh, my first name is Thomasina. It's spelled Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S-I-N-A, because my father's name uh, was Thomas. And as I said, I'm the oldest, so he wanted to get the full word written out. T-H-O-M-A-S-I-N-A -A, uh, Williams is my last name. And you can find me on LinkedIn that way. My firm is Sankofa, 
S-A-N-K-O-F-A, Legacy Advisors with an O. Uh, so the website is Sankofa, S-A-N-K-O-F-A, Legacy Advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, ladies. And thank you for your listening audience.